This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. But he didn't take no for an answer. And just to make it end, I stupidly said yes and got in the car. I'd never in my life heard a man scream like that. I've never heard anything like that in my life. It was a brutal, guttural scream that was shrill to the ears, yet deep in pitch. The sound of someone gone completely mad. Then, in a quiet, ominous voice, she said to me, You have to share her, you know. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you three true, horrifying tales that are sure to keep you up at night. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user Real Mist, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we get into a car with strangers. So this is something that happened to me while I was about 22, living in New York. At this time, I used to have creeps trying to hit on me, thinking I was still a teenager. So I looked younger than my age. It was during the week, and as usual, I was waiting at the bus stop for my bus so I could begin my long journey to my university. The bus stop was next to a photocopy center. But either way, I was minding my business when a much older, robust man approached me. He had pulled up right in front of the bus stop, which I thought was weird because you're not supposed to stop there in the first place. He told me that he was going into the photocopy store and if it would be okay to watch his car while he did so. I always feel weird when people ask me to watch their things, especially because I in no way want to be liable in case something happens, especially because they aren't people I know. And this was a car, outside in a pretty iffy area as is. I told him I was sorry and I couldn't, that I was waiting for my bus anyway, but he was persistent. I tried to excuse myself about twice before just saying okay, knowing I would just hop on my bus if it came anyway. The man went into the store and in no time at all returned again. He thanked me for watching his car, even though I didn't even move from my original spot. I thought the encounter would just end there, but the man didn't leave. He asked if he could give me a ride since I did him the favor of looking over his car and I immediately said no thanks, it was fine. He continued to ask again, and this time I told him, like the first time I saw him, that I was waiting on my bus so it wasn't necessary. But he didn't take no for an answer, and just to make it end, I stupidly said yes and got in the car. I sat in the front, and the entire time my mind was on high alert. I was running through plans on what to do if things took a turn for the worse, So I made sure my seatbelt was loose and kept my hand near the door in case I needed to tuck and roll. From the conversation this man decided to have with me, I knew it wasn't going to be a pleasant ride. He started telling me how he was Russian, etc., and I immediately tried to shift focus of any conversation from myself. So I'd answer with things like, oh, my cousin speaks Russian. I know like only one word. 
just to ensure he gets no further interest in me. In the moment, I remember apologizing in my mind to my cousin. The rest of the conversation he tried to ask about my interests, and I stayed vague. He asked if I liked coffee and the like, and I said no. Somehow the conversation got into territory talking about open-mindedness, and I immediately saw where he was trying to go with it, which was basically asking about sex. I guess he thought he was being slick about it, but I was purposefully pretending it was an innocent conversation and that I knew nothing otherwise. My warning bells didn't really go off, but I think that was because I had already made a million plans in my head on my exit strategy, so I was able to just have a calm conversation. Eventually, a light turned red, and I told him that my destination was right next to where we were, and he went with it. The last thing he told me was that he hoped we'd meet again, and I got out of the car immediately, mentally smacking myself on the head for ever getting in the car in the first place. You hear stories like that which usually end a lot differently. But I'm just happy for me it ended up being a creepy encounter, I can tell. Are you listening alone? Rather brave of you. Up next, we check in with Reddit user Hundmeister, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford, and we encounter the man with the axe. So to preface, I would like to state that this story is probably gonna read like the plot of a campy 1980s horror movie, and it's gonna be very long. However, this story is entirely true, and if not for being five miles from cell reception and the way this story ends, there would be a police report for verification. I will be changing names, locations, and some details in order to protect the privacy of the innocent. A buddy of mine and I try to camp twice a month now that I have a vehicle that can be trusted to get me to some of the more remote areas of our state, and we planned a camping trip for February, the 18th to the 20th. We chose a fairly remote location we'd been to the previous weekend where we'd been the only people we'd seen within one mile of our camp spot. Friday night, we got there and set up. The story takes place on Saturday night. It's about 9pm, so the sun is long gone and the moon hasn't quite risen yet. And it's pitch black out, other than what our fire lights up. Suddenly, we hear a man screaming. We listen intently, silently sharing an anxious look. At first we were hoping it was someone drunk and having a little too much fun, but it quickly became obvious this isn't fun party screaming. I mean, it isn't even like he's hurt. It sounds full of despair, anger, and anguish. I'm going to take a moment to remind you that this is at 9pm in pitch black night, in the middle of nowhere woods five miles from the nearest cell phone signal, and we hadn't seen anyone in hours. The screen continues for what felt like hours. It was probably about a solid five minutes. We had no idea what to make of it and started feeling extremely paranoid. We gathered up anything remotely close to a weapon, and we tried to come up with explanations of the screaming while keeping our eyes on the forest around us. After about 15 minutes of fear-induced paranoia, I nearly fell out of my seat as I I watched a flashlight and lantern slowly enter our camp. I greeted the stranger with a basic, Hey, how's it going? before he was even lit up by the fire. He responded quickly but flatly by asking if we could do him a favor. Well, that depends on the favor, my buddy and I said in unison, obviously tense, holding our weapons close to us. The stranger proceeded to ask if he could hang out for a second by the fire, 
and given the two of us and one of him, plus our myriad of weapons gathered from around camp to within our arm's reach, we decided to agree and let him hang out. After a short second of awkward silence, I ask him what the hell is going on. He proceeds to tell me and my buddy that he was camping down the trail with his buddy, and that his buddy had snapped and tried to kill him. Wait, what? I said before the thought even finished processing in my head. Is that the screaming we heard earlier? The man slowly nods, staring blankly into the fire, and begins his story. We were just hanging out, man. We came up earlier today and my buddy just freaked out. He started screaming, screaming, and he just wouldn't stop. Then he attacked me. I mean, he lunged at me. And I told him, just like, back off and chill, you know? Well, he kept coming after me, and it started getting pretty violent. And I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was going to kill me. So I grabbed my car keys, the lights, and I ran. I, I don't know what to do, man. He, he just chased me, and I, I ran, and I, I don't know what to do. We don't have firearms or anything, but we do have a hatchet. I, my buddy and I looked at each other for a second, completely astonished. Then something horrible dawned on me. Wait, 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 he chased you. Like, like he's on his way here right now. The man just slowly nods in reply. And right on cue, like some terrible horror movie come to life, we hear screaming from maybe 30, 40 feet from our camp, down the main trail. I just want your fucking balance, Gary. I want your balance, Gary. Gary, where are you, Gary? I'd never in my life heard a man scream like that. I've never heard anything like that in my life. It was a brutal, guttural scream that was shrill to the ears, yet deep in pitch. The sound of someone gone completely mad. And the way he said the stranger's name would switch radically from long and sing-songy to short, guttural punches of sound. We killed our lights, became silent, and listened. And by some miracle, the madman didn't notice our camp and continued walking down the trail, screaming the whole way. Well, we ended up chatting with who we'll call Gary for hours, listening to the screaming getting further and further. And come to find out, they had taken four and a half to five grams of magic mushrooms each, and his buddy, who we'll call Ty, was a co-worker of his and was fine for three and a half hours, then suddenly snapped. It seemed as though Ty thought he could kill Gary and steal his good trip. We hear the screams get further and further for over two hours. By this time, it's 11 p.m., the moon is starting to come out, and it's below 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Ty had no jacket or flashlight, according to Gary. My brother and I are way too drunk to drive out of camp to get cell service, as it was snowy and icy and required two to three miles of highway driving after getting off the trail, and Gary was still lightly feeling the effects of weed and mushrooms, so he couldn't drive either. We had to make the decision to let the guy wander, hope he sobered up and he could find his way back. Oh, he did right into our camp. We hear yelling after about an hour of no screams, maybe 30, 50 feet from camp again. Hey, hey, help! Please help me, I'm lost! And we can tell the man's walking from the woods into our camp. We tell Gary to hide just in case, and we greet the man with me carrying my 12-gauge shotgun and my 40 cal pistol holstered, my buddy carrying his AK-47 style rifle and his two 9mm Glocks holstered, he was about six foot two, six foot three, and approximately 300 pounds. We talked to him, decided he was calm enough to walk with, and walked him back to his camp. He seemed really remorseful, and he said he blacked out and didn't remember anything, and that he had a falling out with his buddy. We escorted him back to his camp down the trail, and we returned and told Gary that Ty seemed cool, and if anything else happened to scream and come running, we would come out and help him out. It ended up being a happy ending, 
We made friends with Gary and I got his phone number to make sure the next day he got back into town safely, back to his wife and kids, and we're actually planning a camping trip with him soon. But uh, Ty, who wandered screaming like a deranged maniac into the forest, potentially wielding a hatchet to murder your friend to steal his good trip or whatever it is your psychosis-filled mind was thinking, for the love of God, let's not meet again. Are you terrified yet? You will be. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Now back to the horror. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. And finally, we close out the show with our title story, coming to us from Reddit user Zazzy Goose, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin. And we meet Mrs. Psycho. I've been through some scary experiences, but this was the worst thing I feel that I've ever gone through in my life. I used to be a very naive, innocent kind of person. 
I was the type of optimist who believed there was a touch of goodness in every heart. A dangerous mindset to be in. I realize now that seeing the world through my rose-colored glasses put a big flashing red target on my back. Often when you think of scary stories involving creepy behavior and psychological abuse, you think of an occurrence from a stranger. In my case, it came from my mother-in-law. My husband's mother initially adored me. Not for any reason other than thinking that I could be easily controlled. I was meek with a passive personality, so it made sense that I would come across like someone who could be easily influenced. Looking back on it, I cringe at how creepy the situation really was. For the sake of this story, I'll call my mother-in-law by the name of Mrs. Psycho. At the beginning of my relationship with my husband, Mrs. Psycho and I were getting along great, or so I thought. She'd take me shopping, give compliments about my hair and girly stuff like that. As the relationship with my partner grew more serious, she'd rant and rave to everyone in our neighborhood about how much she adored me and how I was like the daughter she never had. So naturally, I thought things were progressing positively. But certain things were just really off about Mrs. Psycho. I noticed little tidbits of her behavior at parties and neighborhood social gatherings. She'd sulk in a corner and I'd chuck it up as her being socially awkward or anxious, but looking back at it now, I noticed that she was always whimpering about something negative going on in her life. How she fell off her bike and hurt her elbow while riding through a construction zone. How one neighbor complained about her parking in front of his house. Losing her job because she didn't get along with a co-worker. The list went on and on. In every story, she portrayed herself as a victim of some unusual circumstances. One huge red flag that my mind didn't understand at the time was the story she was always telling about her other son, my partner's brother. She'd say some really disturbing things about how he'd held her, my partner, and his dad hostage in their own home, and how he'd physically punched their father in the face. The way she described the story made it sound like my partner's brother was a bully to the whole family. And my partner didn't seem to think it was quite as severe as she made it sound. Regardless, in all her wild stories and accusations about him, she always scolded her son in ways that I just can't imagine ever scolding my own child. What my husband and I didn't fully interpret at the time was the underlying problem, which wasn't necessarily his brother, but the woman who had been a driving force for the insanity behind the behavior. Psychological abuse can trigger emotional responses in very unpredictable and disturbing ways. Mrs. Psycho's behavior became evidently creepy after our engagement. She showed signs of unhealthy enmeshment. First, she was angry that we didn't tell her immediately when we'd gotten engaged. Then she was angry when we changed the wedding date without first asking for her permission. She expressed a desire for my future husband and I to live in the upstairs of her house and pay her rent. We told her that we can afford our own home and we want to start a family, so that wouldn't work out. The infuriation in her eyes was frightening. She would look normal one moment, then if you told her something she didn't want to hear, her eyes would turn black. The memory of her eyes still sends me with a frightening chill down my spine. From there, she became increasingly controlling. Mrs. Psycho and her husband, Mr. Psycho, would start showing up to our house every other day or so. 
I started counting how long they could go without having to see us, and that number came to a mere three days. There was no privacy, and I felt that I had to close the curtains over our windows every night. I just had that uneasy feeling, you know? I locked the bedroom door's routine before bed, just to be on the extra safe side. Despite our relationship being pleasant in the beginning, I noticed that I was now feeling like I was treading on eggshells around Mrs. Psycho. Or rather, landmines. It seemed like anything I said was offensive to her, no matter how innocent. I realized I couldn't talk to her like I used to be able to when me and her son were just dating. I remembered when we'd be able to have nice, in-depth conversations, and I had allowed myself to be vulnerable with her. I confided in her about how I had a lot of social anxiety, and that her son came into my life during a time that I was suffering from crippling depression. I talked about how he'd brought a ray of sunshine into my life, thinking that speaking kindly about her son would please her, but she just had this unfeeling, glazed look across her face. Hoping to mend my relationship with her, I decided to help her out one day with organizing her antiques. She had this hobby of going to auctions and buying and selling knickknacks, buttons and stuff like that. She would get very proud of her collections of things that I sort of thought were junk, but to be polite, I told her I saw beauty in these things, hoping to get back on her good side. There were some creepy dolls in the mix, including this horrifying-looking vampire doll with piercing red eyes. She said she'd had that doll for years and used to scare her sons with it when they were little kids. She laughed at the memory, and the sound had an eerie, satanical vibe to it. As if this wasn't enough to freak me out, she then told me this story about how a female co-worker complained about her to the HR department at her company. To seek revenge on this woman, Mrs. Psycho wrote a letter that was meant for the co-worker's husband, telling him that she was cheating on him. To remain as anonymous as possible, she told me how she slipped on a pair of black gloves and drove the letter to a faraway location so that her address couldn't be traced. I remember feeling very uneasy about her story, wondering how she could get angry enough to drive hours away just to cause emotional harm to another human being. There came a point after hearing this story when I didn't want to be left alone with my partner's mom anymore. My partner tried to talk to his parents about how I was feeling like I was on eggshells around them, but they flipped the narrative to say that they were the ones feeling on eggshells around me. During this time, I painstakingly realized that psychological torture exists in the form of extreme invalidation. Not having your feelings acknowledged can really drive a person crazy. It was then when I felt a little more clued into what may have happened to Mrs. Psycho's other son. I can't be sure because I never met the guy, but I think he was driven mad by his mother's severe emotional neglect. Now she was pulling the same tricks on me and my partner, gaslighting us into believing that we were just too sensitive. When my husband and I started figuring out that something was off, things got even creepier. His parents started showing up to our house to corner us into submission. What I mean is, they'd tell us stories to make them seem like victims so that we would give in to demands of what they wanted at the time. If we denied their requests, they'd use psychological manipulation by telling us that we were uncaring or ungrateful. One demonstration of this manipulation was when I became pregnant. I explained that the smell of pizza made me extremely sick, but this was ignored. 
When Mrs. Psycho insisted that we go to a pizza restaurant for her birthday, I was confused with why I felt like I couldn't say no. My husband was in the same predicament. Somehow, I think we sensed that something bad would happen to us if we declined. This is also because Mrs. Psycho's husband and her sister had contacted us, telling us explicitly that we weren't allowed to say no to her dinner invitations anymore. They explained it like, saying no hurts her feelings. But there was something else there that I can't quite explain. Something hidden beneath the surface that sounded really threatening. I had no idea why, but I just did not feel safe. Then, only two weeks after giving birth to our daughter, I had the creepiest interaction of my life. Mrs. Psycho caught me alone while I was on my front porch. The weather was really nice. So I was rocking with my baby in one of our outdoor chairs. She came up to the doorstep and assumed a seat in a chair next to me. Then, in a quiet, ominous voice, she said to me, You have to share her, you know. Her black eyes flicked to the infant in my arms. I know what you might be thinking, but this wasn't said in a cute, excited, new grandma kind of way. Her voice sounded cold and possessive, with certain passive-aggressive intent behind the statement. I naturally clutched my arms around my daughter tighter, feeling a protective instinct take over me. Mrs. Psycho had expressed to me before that she'd always wanted to have a daughter, but was only ever able to have sons. Maybe I was being influenced by the postpartum hormones, or just overall feeling paranoid, but a disturbing thought occurred to me that she might want to get rid of me somehow, to have my daughter to herself. I later told my husband about the bizarre interaction with his mom and how I couldn't keep up with the heavy psychological demands of his parents anymore. It was all taking a strange emotional toll on me, as well as a strain on our marriage, and I still couldn't pinpoint exactly why. Nevertheless, they were causing us a lot of stress, which was impacted on me all the more while I was trying to adapt to my role as a new mother. They even restricted me in bizarre ways, telling me I was not allowed to refer to our daughter as my baby. I had previously posted on Facebook about how excited and happy I was to be a new mom. I posted a side-by-side -side picture of me with my daughter with the caption, She has my eyes, which was meant to be light-hearted and innocent. My mother-in-law commented on the post with, My son had something to do with it too. Which not only put a damper on the mood, but also felt creepy. Like, why did she have to mention something we already know? It was almost as if my happiness made her more enraged. I really felt like I was starting to go crazy. The stress was enough to make me physically sick. At first, my husband hesitated when I told him about my concerns stating the usual spiel that was natural for him to say, that they were his parents and he couldn't just drop contact with them. But something in his voice contained fear and it wouldn't take long before he would realize how fucked up the situation actually was. The incident that drove him to the point of cutting off his parents happened when they cornered us in our own living room, demanding that we watch their unruly dog while they went on vacation for five days. My husband almost caved but stayed firm when he told them, no, we can't. We have a two-month-old baby to look after. The murderous glare his mom then flashed at me was intense and enough to make me crawl out of my skin. You know that look someone gives before they're about to attack? It looks like something like that from the movies, very primal and hateful. I thought for sure that she was about to lunge at me and wring her hands around my neck. 
causing my death by strangulation. I was terrified. Mr. and Mrs. Psycho eventually left our house, but they were clearly angry that they weren't able to convince us to conform to their will. My husband and I had a dark, suspicious feeling that something bad was about to happen. First, we received lengthy emails from Mrs. Psycho, mostly insulting me. She said she thought that I was brainwashing her son, and she went on to portray herself as a victim. She used the knowledge of my anxiety disorder to make an argument that I was mentally unstable and dangerous. She threatened to post about me on Facebook and make our life a living hell if we didn't apologize for deviating from what she wanted. At the same time, she told me that I was dead to her and listed all the mistakes I've ever made in the past, as well as criticizing my faults. I'd be lying if I said this didn't sting. My husband and I needed space to recover from the emotional wounds that she had inflicted on us. We remained silent, not wanting to engage with her any further. My husband and I were pretty scared as well as being hurt, spending most of our days cooped up in our bedroom, not knowing what to expect. But we stayed strong through the process of separating from the toxic relationship. Mrs. Psycho proceeded to make good on her threat, posting about me publicly on Facebook. She said I was batshit crazy. She even went a step further, saying that I had borderline personality disorder, in all capital letters. This came out of complete nowhere. She knew I had anxiety, but I'd never mentioned anything to her about being borderline, because I wasn't diagnosed with that at all. It didn't end there, though. She also posted a dramatic story of how we had banned her from seeing her grandchild. An active smear campaign against me ensued as Mr. and Mrs. Psycho actually went door to door to everyone's house in my community, posing as good citizens to warn everyone about their extremely dangerous, manipulative, five-foot-tall daughter-in-law. My neighbors didn't react the way that was expected, though. They were more weary of her than of me. Instead of ruining my reputation, which was the desired effect, most people in my neighborhood were majorly creeped out by Mrs. Psycho's efforts. They were equally creeped out by Mr. Psycho's willingness to go along with the whole thing. I guess after years of being beaten down with his wife's abuse, he was just an empty shell of a man. A flying monkey to the proverbial wicked witch. There are a few doctors and therapists in my neighborhood who couldn't officially diagnose her since she wasn't their patient, but they said off the record that they believed Mrs. Psycho may have been projecting meaning that she was, in essence, confessing that she is potentially dangerous and volatile while pinning it on me. This, along with some stories of Mrs. Psycho's interactions with other people in our neighborhood, confirmed that something was disturbingly off with this lady. This information made the situation all the more unsettling when Mr. and Mrs. Psycho showed up to our house for what we suspected would be a confrontation. My husband and I were watching Survivor in the living room with our baby when the doorbell rang. He crept to the front window to peer behind the curtain to see who it was. I could see fear on his face. It's my parents, he said, and my blood ran cold. I immediately ran with the baby upstairs, pausing only to tell him that it was his choice whether to answer the door or not since they were his parents, but that me and the baby would be hidden away. As I made my way up the stairs, my husband hovered by the front door, conflicted. He didn't know what to do. 
Meanwhile, I could hear jostling at the front door like his parents were trying to force their way inside our house with a spare key. I thank God to this day that we had just changed the locks a few days before so they couldn't get in. I proceeded to run upstairs and close the bedroom door behind me, locking me and the baby inside. I held my daughter close, my heart thudding wildly against my chest. When there was a knock on the bedroom door, I reacted with a jolt. It scared me shitless. My husband's voice on the other side calmed me down, though. He told me he didn't answer the door. He was trembling when I unlocked the door to let him in. His face was pale. He showed me a text message from his dad saying, Anyone home? Followed by another text from his mother later saying, You're a coward hiding behind your keyboard. I don't know what would have happened if my husband had chosen to answer the door, but I shudder to think about it. My husband and I both blocked them after that. Phone numbers, social media accounts, everything. They moved away to another state, thank God. We have since had no contact with his parents for almost two years now, and our daughter is growing in a loving environment, free of toxicity. Sadly, we have had to block some of my husband's other family because they kept telling us we should talk to my in-laws. Which, by the way, feels a lot like being told, please contact your abuser. For this reason, I sometimes feel like it would have almost been better to be physically abused than mentally abused, because then there would have been some form of visible evidence of the harm that they had inflicted. In the meantime, they have so far made no attempts to contact us with an apology or anything. Instead, they once reached out with a nasty, have a shitty anniversary. You two are a match made in hell, which only further secured our decision to cut contact with them. I have since armed myself with knowledge so that I will be less naive about creepy behavior in the future. I've studied up on narcissism and the negative psychological impact that some people can have on others through gaslighting and invalidation. I hope that everyone listening out there may be aware that not all abuse is physical. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Submit your own experience to the show in writing or through our hotline, all available at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And a shout out to our newest supporters, NJ Kippen, Julie Widemeyer, Brooke Want, and Andrea Thomas. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases, and you can too. Patreon.com slash Disturbed Podcast. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs>